Last week, I began to share out of a passage in Matthew chapter 7, and and we're going to pick up again with that content. We're talking about asking. And I asked you some of those challenging questions about what are you asking for? Are you asking? Really what I'm saying is, are you praying? Are you talking to God? Are you bringing your life before him? Are you going to him with your needs and your thoughts, your struggles? Because he's made a way for us. Ask. This is Jesus speaking. How many of you know Jesus has some authority? When he speaks, we pay attention. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him for some bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, in the Bible, they sometimes put these little subheadings in, and it separates out parts of Scripture. And if you were following along with me in the Bible, you'll see that for some of the translations, there's a separation from those first few verses and this last one. What Does anybody have their Bible out can tell me what that heading above this one is? Or maybe you can guess. The golden rule. And it gets separated out from the previous passage, but I, you know, the scripture doesn't really work that way. God didn't put those subheadings in. People did. And when you see a word like this, so... Because of what I just said, it's one of those words that makes you kind of got to go back and consider, what did he just say? He just said, ask and seek and knock, and that God gives good gifts. And so if you want to be treated well, treat others well. God treats you well. When you ask, he gives. When you seek him, you find him. Be that way to other people too. I just want to point that out to you as we continue in our journey today through this passage of Scripture. What slows you down from asking God? Last week, we looked at um, the idea of shame and identity, who we actually are in Christ, what it means to be adopted. Remember, I talked about saying, calling God daddy, that intimate term for a child and his father or her father. That's hard to do. We, we learned our identity that through Christ we become children of God. And because we're children and heirs, we have access to God. So if we have that access, we can have confidence, the author of Hebrews said. Let us draw, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. With what? Confidence. And that's where we left off last week talking about confidently approaching God. But I've been challenging you to consider what stops you from being confident with God? What stops you from praying every day? What stops you from asking? And there are any number of things that we could discuss. And last week we talked about shame. I shared a little bit of an embarrassing story with you, which I will follow up on a little bit later in my message today. How many of you have done anything you're ashamed of? And how many of you are lying right now? You should be ashamed. All right, great, we're all together. We've all felt shame. 
And I don't think the initial sensation of guilt is wrong. We feel that because our conscience recognizes that something's off, that I've done something wrong. And so this emotion, this shame or this guilt comes in to tell us that we're in the wrong. And so we need to respond to that. But sometimes we get so swallowed up in shame that we don't feel like we can approach God anymore. I'm too embarrassed to go before him. I'm too ashamed of myself. There are other things that maybe would prevent us from approaching God. Of course, there's wrong thinking about God. There's other things, scars in our lives. What about anger? If you're really angry, or you've been angry for such a long time that you became bitter, Sometimes that prevents us from going to God because we recognize that when we come before God, he might make us deal with our issues. And so that stops us from going there. I don't really want to deal with my issues. What do you struggle with? I I would love it if every person in this room could walk out of here today and know with absolute assuredness that they can confidently approach God. That there's nothing that stands between you and God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. There is no reason you shouldn't go with confidence. Our former senior pastor, Brian Acey, he was, he was able at being a, to be a little more dramatic than I am, I think. And he used to describe this verse and he'd say, I'd run up to those doors and I'd blow through both of them open and I'd slide up on my knees before the throne. That's how he described it. How many of you think I did a terrible impression of Brian? It was pretty bad. That's how he thought about it. And I remember the first time he described that to me, it kind of blew my mind. I'm going to run through those doors shouting, Dad, Father, I'm going to hit the throne room doors. Kind of like Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings when he just comes through the doors. But actually, we're coming through desperate. Why? Because... We need mercy, and we need grace, and that's where we're going to find it. When we need help, when we need breakthrough, when we want to be with God, he's the one we have to go to. We spend all of our time outside the throne room sometimes trying to fix ourselves so that we can go in, so that we look good. But because he's our father who loves us, he wants us to come blowing through those doors and right up to his throne room I need help. Help me. I need grace. I need mercy. Why? Because I screwed up. I don't get it all right. I don't do things right all the time. I make mistakes every day. I need grace. I need mercy. I can approach God confidently. What stops you from doing that? I was asking people this question this week. What stops you from talking to God? What stops you from asking? What stops you from going before him? Some people don't have a problem with it. They totally get this idea that he is father. And he is all loving and I can go to him at any moment, at any time with what I need. But some of us struggle. Do you struggle? We understand our identity. We understand that we're innocent. We understand that we're forgiven. Or do we? We need to keep wrestling with that issue. Romans 8.15, we looked at last week. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery... What kind of slavery? Slavery to sin. Slavery to judgment. Slavery to guilt. Slavery to shame. Slavery to all the things that plague us. We didn't receive a spirit of slavery anymore. Not like like, like we got in this world, but we receive a spirit 
from God. The adoption as sons by which we call Abba, Daddy, Father. How many of you were with me last week have a hard time saying Daddy? Come on. I know the young kids laugh at that because it means something else to them. But for us older, it's hard to do that. It's hard to say because it's so intimate. Can I really think of God that way? But that's your identity. That's your heritage. That's who you actually are, a child of God, innocent and able to run through those double doors that I picture in my head. There's got to be double doors to the throne room, right? It's not like a little bedroom door. You just turn the knob. It's got to be cooler than that. Yeah, big double doors. Just Get before God. You can. You can approach him. We're free from our guilt. We saw in 1 John chapter 1, 9, if we confess our sins. It's an if statement. If and then. If and then. If we confess our sins. We talked about out of our heart we need to say something. You need to bring it out into the light. We need to confess our sin to God. And he's faithful. He's reliable. He's loyal. We can trust him. We can count on him. He will do it. Faithful and just. He's the judge, and if he decides you're free to go, you're free to go. And he's justified in doing so. He's both faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to challenge you, encourage you, motivate you, provoke you to face and deal with the things that hinder your relationship with God. That hinder you from going to God and asking and seeking and knocking. We know ultimately that begins with salvation. Ultimately, it begins with the idea of coming to God and seeking the salvation that we need. But now we know that, according to the author of Hebrews, because Jesus is the high priest, we can also approach the throne at any time, every day, to receive the mercy and the grace that we need. I want to talk a little bit to you this morning about the concept, first of all, of having a clear conscience, and then I'm going to talk about anger. A clear conscience is a wonderful thing. What's the Jiminy Cricket thing? What did he say? Always let your conscience be your guide? How about most of the time let your conscience be your guide? I'm not sure it's always accurate or right because we're flawed. I want to talk about conscience. It's a beautiful thing to have a clear conscience, isn't it? To have a sense of innocence. To have a sense of it's over. It's dealt with. It's washed away from me. It's gone. I'm healed. I've moved on. There's something lovely about a clear conscience. Because when our conscience is not clear, we're wrestling inside. What's conscience? Acts chapter 24, Paul's giving us testimony. We just read this while we were doing our Acts series. Talking about having hope in God, which these men themselves accept. There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So Paul is anticipating a day that the dead will rise. This is our future. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Paul is always working to have a clear conscience with God. He's wrestling with the issues and the conflicts, and he's coming to places of forgiveness. But he's also trying very hard to have a clear conscience before mankind. Paul does everything he can to reach whoever he can. Remember this about Paul. To the Jews, I become a Jew. A Greek, I become a Greek's. (laughs) <laughs> to the Greeks, I become a Greek so that I might win some. He's doing everything he can to have a clear conscience before God and man. I want to look at the... Um, 
Do I have those definitions in there? Carter, can you take me to one? Thank you. Let's go to the conscience one. Should be one other. Nope, I guess I lied to you. Sorry, that was my bad. I didn't give you that. I want to talk about conscience. When the, when the word conscience is talked about in the Bible, like sometimes in English you maybe heard, heard me talk about it, I think of it like co-science, two knowledges. I don't think that's really accurate etymology for that English word. But I think of it like that, two sciences, two knowledges. On one hand, I know what I've done, and on the other hand, I know what is right, and I know what is wrong. And when those two things begin to collide, my conscience is no longer clear. When my behavior lines up with my moral understanding, my conscience is clear. But when my behavior begins to contradict what I understand right and wrong to be, my conscience becomes violated. Co-science, two knowledges going against each other. But really when you go and look at it in the Greek, it takes us a little bit deeper in understanding. It's to know something. It joins moral and spiritual consciousness as a part of being created in a divine image. Accordingly, people have this God-given capacity to know right from wrong because each is a free moral agent. Do you understand that you have the power to make decisions in your life? That you have a will and you make decisions with it? And your conscience is part of the guiding process. That's from God. That's divine. It's why I really believe that everybody has a sense of right and wrong because we were made in the image of God and understanding those things. But often our conscience becomes seared. Maybe you've read that in the scripture. Their consciences were seared. Or God turned people over to their own depravity. The conscience has just gotten to a point where it's shut down. It's an innate discernment, a self-judgment, an ability to look at ourselves and evaluate because we understand right and wrong. See, we recognize the eternal, you know, Ecclesiastes says, he put eternity in the hearts of men. I think there's something in us that remembers, maybe not you specifically, but as humans, we remember what we were made for. There's something subconscious passed down through the ages of why God made man And even today, you and I sense it. And so we recognize there's brokenness in the world. We're always looking for utopia, aren't we? We're always looking to, to improve and for it to be better and that somehow we've not arrived. Why? Because creation is broken. And man looks at it, we can look at it and realize that we've contributed to that brokenness through sin. And our conscience is no longer clear. I shared a story last week with you, and I don't want to share it again, but I'm going to. I don't, I don't like sharing it anymore. It was so long ago. And I told you a lot about when I was a young man, I was not a really well-behaved person. I was. I did okay in school, things like that. But on the other hand, I wasn't. And I told you about a night on a drunken tirade when I put my hand through a glass door. And I ripped all my friends, chewed them out, up one side and down the other, and I lost friends that night. And then I told you that I was tired of carrying that around in my conscience. I was ashamed. And so I reached out to one of the girls that was there. Not a, she wasn't a girlfriend or anything like that. By the way, if you're going to go apologize to somebody in your past and you had a romantic involvement with them, would you please talk to your spouse about that before you do that? Just a little wisdom there for you. But this particular situation was not like that for me. I wanted this off my conscience. I reached out to her. And when I shared with you last week, she hadn't got back to me, but she did get back to me Monday, I think, with the most gracious, life-giving message to me. She's like, I don't even remember that. I'm pretty sure I was there. I never lost respect for you, et cetera, et cetera. 
You know how heartwarming that was to me? To know that that was off my conscience. My shame was dealt with. I didn't, it was 25 years ago. And we talked about those things that maybe you're carrying around from 25 years ago or 50 years ago or last week. Let's deal with those things so that our conscience is clear before God. I understand that God has forgiven me for those things in my youth. I understand that. But I also want a clear conscience before man that those I have wronged and offended and misrepresented God, really that's the crux of it. I misrepresented God. And I lost my voice with people because of my behavior. And I wonder if I could somehow share with those people again the awesome and loving and life-changing experience I had with Christ. But I don't have that voice with them anymore because I destroyed that by misrepresenting Christ. It's something we need to be very careful of in the world we live today. That we aren't losing our witness by the way we're behaving. Is your conscience clear? If not, why not? Is there something you can do about it? An unclear conscience will cause hesitation for you. Maybe it caused hesitation to take communion today after I read those scriptures. A man ought to examine himself. A man ought not to eat and drink judgment on himself. Maybe that caused you to reflect a little bit on whether or not your conscience was clear. I'm recruiting a team of people for South Africa. Shameless plug. You want to go to South Africa with me? Come on, I need more enthusiasm than that. I need some people. I need a few more to go with us to South Africa in April. If you have questions about that, you can talk to me after the service. Get a hold of me. I have some information for you. But maybe your conscience stops you. I'm not qualified to go on a missions trip. I'm this way. I'm that way. I did this. I did that. God couldn't use me because blah, 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 blah. Not having a clear conscience will stop you from doing things God wants you to do. What about small groups or ministry teams? How many of you are very musically talented and could add to our worship team? But something in your conscience goes, I know some of you are like, I'm just tired and busy, I don't have time. I get it. But what, about, what if you have a conscience issue? Like, I'm not good enough to do that. Not musically. I'm not good enough at a heart level to stand up and lead people. What a broken person I am. How dare I stand up there and try to lead people in worship? I tell you, I could stand up here today with a mirror and preach this whole message to myself. We're all in this together with our struggles. I do want to warn us about something. We end up in this kind of thinking where we might look at our relationship with God like a set of scales. And they're out of balance and our conscience isn't clear and we've been in a lot of sin or a lot of brokenness and frustration. And we try and balance out the scales so that we can go talk to God. Try and do enough good deeds and let enough time go by. Pray lots of prayers and get myself fixed before I approach God. I'm encouraging you to deal with it so that you can approach God with confidence, but realize that the only way you're going to deal with it is to go to God. You're not going to fix yourself before you can go in the throne room. It will never happen. You cannot do it. He is the one who does the healing, the fixing. It, I mean, if, if, if you're picturing yourself, the spiritual you, broken on your hands and knees, beaten, barely able to crawl, crawl through the doors if you have to. 
Get to God to deal with those things, to bring you healing and let your loving Father love on you so you can approach him. Don't let that stop you from asking in the first place. I want to move on to talking about anger. Obviously, a part of my story, anger is a big part of it. Anger is an interesting thing. Um, thought about it a lot over the years. The Bible teaches quite a bit about it. James chapter 1. Uh, can I take this back now, Carter? Take me to James 1, would you? Thank you. And then I'll take it from here. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Proverbs chapter 29, 11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. I want to take you back to when I was a young man again. Is that okay? I'm giving you some dirt on me, all right? If I ever run for president, please be quiet. That's never going to happen. Anger is what happens. I, I don't think anger in and of itself is sin. I think anger is a natural thing that we feel. I think shame. I think fear in their initial state, are warnings to us. You know, if, if, if I'm out hunting elk and there's a grizzly bear 15 feet away from me and that sensation of fear that I have, that's very healthy. It's a sense of power and respect and that I need to give some space to that power and respect and, and of, of what that animal could do. But then fear can become really unreasonable and take over our lives. And shame is the same way. If you do something wrong, you ought to feel it. When you've wronged someone or you've wronged God, you ought to feel that. But we can also end up then wallowing in our shame for the rest of our lives and never getting anywhere. That's not okay. And anger's like that. Anger is our response to injustice, to some, our perception of injustice. When we look at something that's wrong, it contradicts what we believe is right or the way things should be, maybe our own expectations. Our anger isn't always a right response, and it isn't always accurate. And so when I, when I was young, obviously I, I had a, if I was angry enough that night to do that, I had spent quite a number of years very angry. Uh, I told you that I expected to be an athlete and turned out to be not that much of an athlete. And one of the issues was that in, in basketball was my sport, and the very first game my freshman year, I was late getting to the gym. I thought I just had to be there in time to dress up and go to the game, but I was supposed to be there for a meeting, and I somehow missed that. I'm, I, at that point in my life, I was still a bit of a rule follower. Enneagram 1, anybody out there? For those of you that know. But I was late, and I was supposed to start that game, and I got benched for being late to the meeting, and I feel like I spent the next four years trying to make it up. I was angry. I was angry because I felt like what I wanted and what I expected and what my expectations were were not being met. And so I'm getting frantic because I'm not achieving the goals I want to achieve. And pretty soon I feel like I've been wronged. This process isn't right. 
And when I got on the basketball court, I was a maniac. And I think mostly what it stemmed from was I was so disappointed in myself. I was so angry at the circumstances. I'm working very hard to try and make up ground, and I couldn't do it. And I was so mad. You can talk to my mom about that. Some of my friends' parents didn't like me (laughs) after a while because I just could not control my temper on the court. It was awful. I'm ashamed of that. I'm embarrassed about it. How could I behave that way? So angry. But there is a part, there's a, there's a thing about anger. It, it perceives from an internal dis... Here, let's just read it. Again, this is going back to the biblical understanding of anger, the gr- anger in the Greek, this emotion, this sensation. Proceeds from an internal disposition which steadfastly opposes someone or something based on extended personal exposure, ID, solidify, uh, for, i.e., for example, solidifying what the be- beholder considers wrong, unjust, or evil. So when you look out there in the world and you see something that's unjust, you get angry. What happened on 9-11 when we watched the towers come down? Besides shock and all the things that we felt, one of them was anger. Why? This is unjust. It's wrong. How could this happen? I don't think observing and having that response is wrong. But here's what happened. Anger... Uh, the, kind of the idea behind anger is a swelling. You've had a swollen joint or a blister. Isn't that how anger kind of feels? Your emotions are swelling. You're just, man, you're just starting to ramp up to a boiling point. Your emotions are swelling. That's really where the word comes from. It's swelling of the emotion. Sometimes it can be like a blister. It will burst. We swell with anger until we burst. How many of you have ever burst with anger? Come on now. And how many of you are lying? (laughs) You're getting the point. We all know what that feels like to get so angry that we begin to behave in an irrational way. We begin to do things that destroy our witness of Christ. And destroy our reputations. And destroy our relationships when anger starts to dominate our lives. And we feel justified in doing it because you treated me wrongly. Janie and I had a discussion this week. We had a fight. Yes, pastors and their wives argue. Y'all look shocked. How many of you had discussions at your house this week about snow tires? Ah, I see. I see. I might have an idea how that went. But actually, really what happened was we were discussing snow tire situation, and, and I felt accused. Okay? There's a justice word. Accusation. I felt accused, which I'm not going to get into detail about. And I got angry. It was not just, this woman is abusing me. <laughs> with her expectations. And I, and I got angry. And when I get angry, my mouth starts to work faster. <laughs> and I, I get myself in trouble. Then Janny then, then thought I was unjustly responding to her just comments. And she gets angry. And you do this, 
boom, blows up, right? Well, it wasn't Janie's heart to accuse me. At least that's what she tells me. And I believe her. But that's what happens. We feel that it's not just that we get angry, but then, but then what about your life? Okay, that's a, that's a silly little thing, but sometimes when we lose someone we love early, we get angry. It doesn't feel right. It's not just. What if I didn't get the job I wanted? What if my relationships aren't going the way I want? That's not fair. There's a justice word. And when it's not fair, we get angry because it ought not to be that way in our estimation, right? We're not really good judges of these things. The anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God, James says. We're not good at navigating it. Some people talk about uh, righteous indignation and righteous anger. I have yet to meet a human being that can handle that well. I don't think it's real. The only one who can be righteously angry is God himself because he's a just judge. He's able to handle that. I'm going to go a little bit over today, so just be prepared. Slow to anger. Receive with meekness. Meekness is almost like the opposite of anger. Anger is like this swelling power out of control that becomes out of control. Meekness is the opposite. It's like the divine ability to wield power with gentleness. Maybe you've heard that description of meekness. That really does come from the Greek of the word meek. It's like maybe you've heard the description power under control. That really is what it is. And so rather than have this rising, swelling, bursting, angry, broken response, we can handle the power that we have with meekness, with a gentleness. Great definitions there. Those are Strong's words for those of you that like to do that kind of research. Job was angry. Job was angry. Job is a character in the Bible who lost his family, all of his children, except, and he, but he didn't lose his wife, lost all of his treasure and belongings, lost all of his livestock, he lost everything. He's covered in boils, sores, under this strict thing that he's enduring. But he says, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. Have you ever wanted to argue your case with God? Job wanted to. Job's like, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I felt like that. I wanted to argue before God. That wasn't fair, God. It shouldn't have worked out that way. I want to read to you. I'm just going to read it. What God says to Job. When Job says, I want to argue with you, God. Takes his life into his own hands. And, and God, it's just an amazing set of scripture. I'm just going to read a tiny part of it for you today. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord challenged Job and the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind saying, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? 
Will you condemn me that you might be in the right? Have you an arm like God? Can your voice thunder like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with, with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. And tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in all the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I acknowledge to you that your own hand can save you. I would encourage you this week, go read Job chapter 40 right around there. And God's response to Job. But Job has an interesting thing he says. Earlier on he says, Why should I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will trust in him. When we get angry about what God has apparently decided or allowed or however you want to think about it, when we want to bring our case before God, remember this, Job still trusted God. Job said, I'm taking my life in my own hands by going before God to argue with him, but I still trust him. And I wonder, with the things that you're angry about, that you feel are unjust in life, that maybe have caused brokenness in your life, do you really believe that he will work all those things according to those who love him and are called according to his purposes? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This is what we need to wrestle with when we become angry with God. It's not fair. It's not right. Why is my life like this? And yet there's a point where we need to go, but I trust you. But I trust you with it. Even though I can't see the end, I don't know why. I may never know why. I'm going to look at your word. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to choose to trust you. This morning, I want, I want to take a moment and pray for two, two of us in the room today. Two issues in the room today. Maybe just two of us do. I want to pray for those of you whose conscience is not clear. We don't have to talk about why. There's a million reasons why. If your conscience is not clear and you want a clear conscience, God is faithful and just to forgive you and wash those things away. The second thing is this. I want to pray for those of you who have struggled with anger. You've struggled with the idea that God's not been fair, life's not been fair, so many people have wronged me, I'm angry. Because anger leads to bitterness. And bitterness is awful to live with. So if you want to respond to either of those, would you just please stand where you are in your chair? We're going to pray for you this morning. Thank you for being brave. Be brave. If you want to ask God for something, what what do we start out today with? Ask. Ask. He hears you. Ask. He's faithful. Ask. He washes it away. He's a father. If you ask for bread, he'll give you bread. If you ask for, for uh, he's not going to give you a stone. Let's pray. Let's, let's all lift up these folks in prayer that have responded in faith today. Lord, I thank you for the response of faith today. Lord, I pray for every individual who's had the, the boldness and the faith to stand up before you and ask. Lord, I pray that you'd Touch whatever they're bringing before you. Whatever it is that's on their heart and mind that they're bringing before you to have you help them with. 
They're coming through the the double doors of the throne room and sliding up to the throne on their knees saying, help me, Lord. I need mercy. I need grace. I need forgiveness and washing away. Lord, I pray that your loving arms would be around them now. Lord, that the sense of your presence and your spirit would be comforting them, reminding them that they are a child whom you love, whom you laid down your life for to have this relationship with them. God, I pray you bless them with breakthrough and even taking steps forward from here in the washing it away. Lord, we just give all these things up to you. And we are all, every one of us, Lord, we are so thankful today for your kindness and your mercy. We are so thankful that you are just. We're so thankful that you will work all things together. And in the end of time, you'll culminate all these things to bring us into a new heavens and a new earth. Thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, you guys. I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. If you'd like some additional prayer, we'll have a prayer team over to my left. Have a great rest of your week.